0: Good morning. It's Friday, May 1st, and you're listening to the College Football Daily, a 24-7 sports podcast dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. My name is Trey Scott. I hope everybody's excited for a new month. Maybe May brings some good news in our world. I hope everybody's excited for a weekend. I'm in a good mood because it is Friday, and today I'm going to be joined by a few of the Awesome 24-7 sports experts across the network because today we're going to talk about how a few college football teams are going to replace their first round quarterback picks. That's right. There were four quarterbacks taken last week in the first round of the 2020 NFL draft. Joe Burrow went number one overall to the Bengals. Tua Tungovailo, a five overall to the Dolphins. Justin Herbert, the Oregon quarterback, went sixth overall to the Chargers, and then Jordan Love. Utah State product 26 overall to the Packers who traded up for him and pissed off Aaron Rodgers in the process. So for those NFL teams, they, it looks like they have their, their quarterback futures figured out, at least for the next several years. For the college teams, though, well, there's a lot of question marks, and there's some interesting dilemmas and some interesting battles that are going to have to take place to get these four spots filled. For Utah State, it's pretty straightforward. There's a natural successor for Oregon. We thought we had a natural successor and then a graduate transfer swooped in. What does that mean for Mario Cristobal's Ducks? For Alabama, we have Mac Jones versus Bryce Young. It kind of reminds me of Jalen Hurts versus Tua vailoa We thought that Bryce Young might be the guy by the opener against USC and then the COVID-19 pandemic hit. Bryce Young lost spring practice and now Mac Jones really has a leg up. And then at LSU, We thought they were going to go to the grad transfer market. We thought they might try to get Jamie Newman. Might try to get Derek King. Nope. Sticking with Miles Brennan, they must have a lot of confidence in him. So we're going to start naturally with the Bayou Bengals with Shea Dixon of Go 24-7 Sports. Let's get to it. All right, bringing in Shea Dixon of Go 24-7. Shea, it's not like LSU is opposed to adding transfer quarterbacks. I mean, that's how they got Joe Burrow. And I sort of spent last fall thinking they would be in the mix for – the top transfer quarterback available, like a Adiric King. And then there are some other guys out there too, Jamie Newman. Uh, Did you think LSU was going to pursue a grad transfer? and, And if so, when did you realize they weren't going to?
1: Well, you know, I think that the biggest, I did, I thought that they would entertain it, but I don't think, I think in Orgeron's mind, he had faith enough and he has faith enough in Miles Brennan, And what Brennan has been able to do developing the past few years at LSU. He's gotten some backup reps. He's learned from Joe Burrow and been in a quarterback room with Joe Burrow for two years. Uh, And I think to be able to soak all that up has been invaluable and something that no other quarterback transfer would bring to the table. And Miles Brennan's no scrub. I mean, he was a four-star top 247 player. He was an Elite 11 finalist. He was a top performer, number one performer on one day. Uh, with a 24-7 sports breakdown from our guys who were there. So they feel like a redshirt junior Miles Brennan can get the job done. And look, whether it was Jamie Newman, any of those guys, they never flirted with him. Now, JT Daniels comes into the picture and everyone immediately says, oh, well, it worked out the first time, Joe Burrow and LSU, uh, much like they've talked about Oklahoma as grad transfer uh, destination number one in recent years. So uh, I think naturally people kind of, had that inclination to say Orgeron recruits California plenty, JT Daniels, you know, the buzz around his camp is that he's had LSU interest. But with LSU's open spots that they've had to spend after signing day to be used on people like grad transfers, we saw them address A, Jabril Cox, a linebacker, which was a massive need given that they lost all four starting linebackers. And I think the most telling thing is, They've got a guy committed in Cameron Jackson, who was was deemed to be a late qualifier, but it looks like he's going to wrap things up, and they're still committed to him, and it looks like he may sign. That only really left them an open spot if Cam Jackson's in, and many said, okay, that must be JT Daniels, right? Wrong. They go out and get a Harvard grad transfer who plays offensive tackle and offensive guard in Liam Shanahan, so it's a vote of confidence for Miles Brennan, right? They went and got someone who can protect Miles Brennan, their quarterback. And they lose four of five starters uh, to the NFL draft. And their one swing man was picked up as an undrafted free agent. So five offensive linemen from uh, last year's Joe Moore Award winners as the best O-line unit in college football are gone. And they didn't go out and say, okay, let's bring in JT Daniels or someone like that uh, and compete with Brennan or be there as a backup uh, in case Brennan got hurt or something like that. Instead, they said, How can we protect Miles Brennan? And they went out and got what they felt was one of the best offensive linemen still available in the portal.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. JT Daniels, the USC transfer, perhaps if, if he decides to go through with that, is in the transfer portal. Five star kid. LSU was mentioned as maybe target number one for him. Last question, just real quick on Miles Brennan, Shea. Like what you mentioned, he's not a scrub. He has a much higher recruiting profile than Joe Burrow had. What do you think he needs to prove in fall camp, or or what do you think you'd like to see from him? Is he is he a quiet kid? Does he? I mean, who has Joe Burrow's moxie and swag? Right, like nobody. You might, but does Miles Brennan Miles Brennan have any of that? Like, what do you want to see from him?
1: You know, I, I want to see a couple things. One, which is, I think we began to see during spring ball when we were out there and it was only a handful of days before it got shut down, but that vocal leadership, right? Because you can't be vocal as the backup quarterback. When Joe Burrow is the number one quarterback, it doesn't work Ed Orgeron talked about that. It would, you know, who would ever think they could do that? Uh, Tom Brady couldn't be sitting in that room as a college guy, as a backup to Joe Burrow and speak up over a voice like Burrow. So now that Burrow's gone, that's miles Brennan's time to step up. And Orgeron said he sort of picked off where Burrow uh, picked up where Burrow left off in the sense of managing the offseason workouts, being the first guy who shows up and getting everybody hyped up when they go out and start lifting or, or they go out and start conditioning, getting the receivers together and throwing and telling them. Um, you know, where they're doing things well and where they're they're wrong with things and how they can clean things up. And I think being able to sit behind Burrow for two years and see how he did that with this same group, you really only lose Justin Jefferson when you're talking about your receivers, that that's been a way that's made the transition for Brennan easier. So, A, you want to see more leadership. B, the other thing we want to see, which we won't see till he plays, is – How does he handle things? And I think over time, and I mean in the line of fire on the field, over time as a backup, he looked a little more calm. And we know that Brennan's got a great arm. He's got that Dan Marino, Jared Goff-type release where he's got no hitch in it. He can just get it out, just boom, zip. And the receivers have all said it. Joe Burrow has said it. Miles Brennan has a better arm than Joe Burrow does. He can make more throws than Joe Burrow can. What he doesn't have is the ability – that we know to just be patient and stand out there in the line of fire and make the right calls, make the right reads. If the pocket shuts down, um, how are you as an off platform thrower or someone who can keep drives alive with your legs? And so many things Burrow is able to do. We can't expect Brennan to match that. There'll be a fall off. And uh, remember, we saw how Burrow was in 2018 versus 2019. Brennan's got those two years as well. I'd expect that his second year is going to look better than his first year. But I just want to see that confidence out there that, hey, look, the offense is in place. I know I've got receivers and running backs and tight ends and Eric Gilbert coming in. They're going to figure out the offensive line in front of me. If he can just trust the system, I think that Brennan can develop into a really solid quarterback and probably better than most of us, me included. I'll speak for myself. Maybe even think he'll be this year. I think he could surpass that. But uh, yes, look, when you lose that many offensive linemen, it's going to be tough. And uh, I think there was some real clarity to take away from them spending that spot on an offensive lineman and not on a JT Daniels type because their confidence is in Brennan.
0: Good stuff from Shea Dixon sticking in the sec West, talking to LSU's arch rival, Alabama crimson tide reporter, Charlie Potter of Bama online is about to tell us what Alabama's quarterback battle is going to look like this fall, this summer and whether Nick Saban has learned from his handling of Jalen Hurts versus Tua vailoa a few seasons ago. Charlie, what's going on? Before we get your thoughts on the the battle between Mac Jones, Bryce Young, Tua vailoa Paul Tyson, I wanna I wanna kinda step back before the COVID pandemic hit and bef- like robbing us of a chance to see Bryce Young in spring football. And I wanna get your thoughts as they were maybe in January, January first, twenty twenty on how you thought the Alabama quarterback race might go. Regardless, were you in the camp that thought, this is pretty much Mac Jones' job? Or did you really think there was an opportunity there for Bryce Young or for one of the other young guys to step up and take it?
2: Yeah, before this happened, um, I thought that Mac did enough this past season, filling in for Tua uh, when he had a, a couple of injuries, that he looked like a guy that could you know hold, hold down the fort behind center. Um, you know, He came in, uh, in the Tennessee game and then started the Arkansas game. He then, you know, came in uh, when, when Tua got hurt again at Mississippi State and then started the rest of the season. And on January 1st, Alabama beat Michigan pretty handily uh, in, a, in a bowl game, and, and Mack looked pretty great. And the, the thing about that is, I mean, you're losing guys like Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs III, Judge Rick Wills moved on to the NFL, but you still have Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell. Najee and all those running backs are back, um, you know, four of the five offensive line starters are back, so he's going to have the same cast of characters pretty much outside of a couple of first-round picks at receiver, and I think Alabama's the only team that you can say that and still feel pretty good about the offense coming back, but he's worked with those guys. He showed that he had a rapport with them, and he showed he had the confidence, the ability to go out there, so yeah, I mean, I knew there was going to be a competition in the spring. There always is, and um, you know, with him not really being the de facto starter uh, coming back, there was going to be a potential for competition. But you went into what was expected to be spring practice thinking, okay, you're going to see Mac, um, you know, number one through drills, and and probably Talia and Paul Tyson two and three, just because Bryce Young will be going through his first couple practices. But you know, as we know, and I'm sure we'll talk about, it, that's not the case. And I still, though, I mean, any day on the calendar, I think Mac Jones is in the driver's seat. It's just now we don't have anything to judge the younger guys on leading up to that.
0: Were you surprised that Mac Jones came in and threw 14 touchdowns, three picks, almost completed 70% of his passes. Were you surprised that he was a little bit more than a game manager, which you would know better than me, but from the outside looking in, that seemed to kind of be the label. That probably is what happens when you're stuck in a class with Tua. You get a little bit overshadowed, but I was really impressed with Mac Jones and I thought he you know could help Alabama win games. How did you think uh, he showed himself last fall?
2: I was kind of surprised a little bit just because in the games we had seen him in past seasons, he kind of looked like a deer in the headlights. And of course, you know, he's sitting behind both Tua and Jalen. So he's not really given the opportunities he was this year, and I think he was more prepared for it. So, um, you know, everybody before you know the the Arkansas game when he got his first start, and we're we sitting there in the the week leading up to to the game, and and of course, all the questions are about Mac and how he's looked. What do you think about him? And and everyone said that they're confident in him because he's a confident player, and that's something he's kind of had his entire Alabama career. Is he's confident, uh, he's competitive. Um, you know, one of my favorite things, and I've said it many times before, is um, Nick Saban used to call him Johnny McEnroe because he's got this fiery attitude and. When something doesn't go right, he like gets upset and like will slam his helmet, just kind of like Johnny McEnroe back, used to do back on the tennis court. And, and and Mac Jones used to play tennis, too, so it just it fits. But he's kind of you know, broken out of that shell a little bit, uh, been more um, under control, especially from an emotional standpoint. I think we saw that this past season. And I think that um, kind of losing that aspect or, or getting away from it a little bit and playing with confidence – uh, mixed in with just him having the ability to go out there and having the playmakers around him, it, it kind of made for a perfect storm for him to be able to close the season out strong. and know he didn't play uh, his best at Auburn. Those two pick sixes uh, cost Alabama. If you take those away, I think he played pretty well down Jordan here. So uh, I was a bit surprised, but as the season you know kind of progressed, at least the latter portion of it, and we saw him uh, really get comfortable back there. Uh, he seemed to be a guy that had really developed and, and a guy that, you know, now we're talking about potentially being the starting quarterback for Alabama next season.
0: All right, so let's talk about Bryce Young. Number one player in the top 247, just, just a really great kid, massive prospect. If, we, if you and I walked around downtown Tuscaloosa right now, went to some bars and hung out with Alabama fans, I'm guessing, and Charlie, I want you to tell me if I'm wrong, that they would hope, given he's got more time in the program left, he's got more potential. He's a five-star recruit. I'm guessing that they would tell me that by midseason they'd like to see Bryce Young be the guy. Uh, am I right? Am I wrong? Are they rooting for him to win it? I
2: think a lot are, but I think there are a lot of Mac Jones fans now, based on what he did last season. But with with Bryce, he's just like you said. He's just an extreme talent. Um, you know, you don't really hear Nick Saban saying the things he said about Bryce Young whenever a kid hasn't even, you know, went through a single practice at Alabama. And he was saying that at both signing days uh, this past year, just saying how he loves the guy, talking about his personality. And and whenever he mentions his personality first and what he brings to the team from that perspective, especially talking about a quarterback and then talks about his ability, you know, Nick Saban's a fan of this guy. And it's really a shame that we didn't get to see him go through spring practice because it was going to be a lot of fun to cover, Um, you know, We've we've been on the the Tua train for a little bit, and we had the Tua Jalen stuff, of course. But this is one where you have a guy coming back that had some starts, but you know, still, you know, he doesn't have complete control of the job. And now you have the nation's top player coming in that everybody's excited about and seems to have all the ability in the world. So it, it's a shame because that's that's an opportunity in the spring where he was going to be able to to get that experience and show what he was able to do. I know, uh, even though. Alabama's 8A game was initially announced to be limited it was going to be packed and everybody was going to tune in so uh, I I think that he has a realistic shot I think that shot kind of lessens now that there's no spring practice because that was a great opportunity for him and the other guys but uh, yeah I mean Alabama fans are certainly excited about Bryce Young and uh, I think that they're just counting down to the days when when practice can return and then get back on the field and they can see some practice footage of him.
0: What do you think Nick Saban learned from from Jalen versus Tua and the year that that lasted, and 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 what do you think he might you know take from from those learnings and apply here? Because we have another situation again where you've got this talented freshman who's nipping at the heels of a of a rather proven uh, veteran quarterback.
2: It's a similar situation, yeah. I mean, of course, Jalen had two years as a starter under his belt and only lost a couple of games and. Uh, was was a fan favorite, but um, yeah, it, it is a similar situation. But I, I think he has learned from that. I think you you learn that you have to play your best players regardless of what uh, the player in front of him has done. And and Max not as um, decorated as Jalen, but he certainly helped your team out in your moment of need uh, when Tua went down. Has been a guy that a lot of people in the in the locker room uh, trust and are confident in. So um, that'll be really interesting for me because I, I think he's already kind of set up the groundwork to show he likes Bryce Young and knows he has the ability. Um, it, it is tough, though, because he doesn't have any practices to go through yet. And whenever they get back on the practice field, whenever that might be, it'll be his first ever college practice. So um, you're hoping that he's a guy that was really in tune with the offseason training program and is doing things at home, and it sounds like he is. But uh, I, I think that with Saban now, you know that you can't wait uh, until the, the final moment it paid off uh, but I don't know if you're going to get a circumstance like that again and uh, you know you, you see what Tua said um, you know after that moment you know talking about how he considered transferring to USC well you don't want to lose a guy like Bryce Young because you're playing Mac because he's the older player so I think he's learned from that and uh, it'll be really interesting to see how he handles that because now with the lack of spring practice and probably the lack of practice before the season you'd probably lean toward Mac Jones starting the year but if Bryce Young gets comfortable, then I think Saban, whenever he feels like he's ready, will put him in.
0: It's gonna be really interesting too, because operating under the assumption that we have a season and all these games happen on time, you're gonna know pretty quickly what's gonna happen, right? You got USC week one, Alabama's got Georgia in week three. So Mac Jones, if if the job is his, and you would assume it is, he's gonna have like that's that's three, two statement games in three weeks to sort of clamp down the job or risk giving it up to Bryce Young. Charlie Potter from Bama Online. Thanks for joining us, Charlie. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. All right. That's good stuff from Charlie. The College Football Daily is going to take a quick break. We will be right back. And on the other side, Eric Scopel of Duck Territory is going to break down what life after Justin Herbert looks like for the Oregon Ducks, who, with the right quarterback, could be a college football playoff contender. All right. Eric Scopel. If you were in charge of writing the preseason Oregon Ducks section of the magazine and had to list one quarterback, in bold, no or section, no or, who's the guy? Tyler Shuck or Anthony Brown or somebody else who I'm not thinking of?
3: Trey, I love the or section, so this is hard for me. I'm, I'm known for my, my preseason depth chart predictions. I've got like nine ors in there, so this is hard for me. But if I had to name one, it would probably be Tyler Shuck right now. Um, last time we spoke with Oregon's coach Mario Cristobal, he said, we think Tyler Shuck did an outstanding job this spring. He entered the spring as a starter. He leaves the spring as a starter. I cannot emphasize enough how fired up we are about Tyler. Those are uh, That's a quote from Mario Cristobal um, from earlier in April, April 3rd. Uh, that just kind of communicates where they are. Now, of course, I should also communicate that this was prior to Anthony Brown enrolling at Oregon, so Cristobal could not Discuss Brown's involvement, but based upon where things were at in the spring, and we did get four spring practices for Oregon, so we have at least a small sample size. Tyler Shuck was clearly the best quarterback on the roster. Now, Anthony Brown was not on that roster at the time, so he is certainly an added wild card. If Brown was not involved in this, this would be a very straightforward answer, and it would be Tyler Shuck. And I could very easily say, put that name in bold, underline it, do whatever you need to do to emphasize he's the starter because he's the guy. But uh, this addition of Brown certainly adds. Uh, a compelling element here and I think it's going to be a very very important part of this fall camp when it takes place for Oregon because Shock is a highly regarded player Uh, he's looked really good when he's been uh, on the field in limited opportunity last season 12 for 15 144 yards three touchdowns no interceptions he was I think even more sharp in the team's spring game where Uh, maybe this isn't popular opinion, but he certainly didn't look that much worse than Justin Herbert in last year's Oregon spring game. They kind of battled back and forth for part of that game, especially in the first half, and I thought Shuck to look really, really well in that spring game. So uh, Shuck's a very talented guy and a player that has a a tremendous upside in future, but I also don't necessarily know if you go out and add a player like Brown, who's had a pretty strong career at Boston College with the expectation that Shuck is like I said, underline his name and, you know, Sharpie, whatever you want to do with it, because Brown's a player that you don't bring in. If, if you think, if you feel like entirely Shuck is the guy. So I, my I guess short answer to, or a long answer to a short question is, uh, give me Tyler Shuck, but Anthony Brown is, is certainly going to be a part of this discussion uh, once we do get to fall.
0: Yeah, I was, I was under the impression for, I guess, the last year or so, at least with that, that Tyler Shuck, you know, former top 100 recruit would just be the heir apparent, To Justin Herbert. And so I was surprised that Anthony Brown, who is not just some grad, I mean, he is a grad transfer. It's not like we've got a superstar on our hands, but he was a multi-year starter at Boston college. So firstly, you would assume that he thinks he has a really good shot to win a job if he's going to transfer to Oregon. Uh, But I was, I was just surprised that that that's where he decided to go because I, I was like, Hey, this is Tyler Shuck's job. So my question to you, Eric were you surprised that they were t- that they were even shopping for a grad transfer quarterback and then were you shocked or were you surprised that that Anthony Brown chose them?
3: I think I was surprised to both a little bit and uh, Oregon was on the market even right around the Rose Bowl. I remember Jamie Newman's name popped up Oregon was a possible destination there. Um, Brown's name popped up I think a couple of weeks later. Uh, or maybe it was early February that we first started hearing that name. But, uh, I, yeah, I was surprised when that took place because it, it felt like Chuck kind of was the heir apparent. And that was the sense. And that was something you heard from players on the roster when you asked about him, about what kind of a player he was. There's a lot. There have been a ton of enthusiasm. I think that enthusiasm is, still exists. But that was something that was certainly there when you spoke with. Um, teammates of Shuck, uh, just of like, this guy's going to be special, there's a lot to like, there's a lot, he brings the team together. I think that was a thing that was was pushed a lot, is that he was, maybe his personality uh, was a little different than Justin Herbert's in terms of he was a little bit easier to kind of get along with, not that Justin Herbert's difficult to get along with, but that Shuck's personality was maybe a little easygoing. So yeah, I was surprised to see that. At the same time, I think the other harsh reality is that like, Herbert goes, he started, you know, every single game for about the last four seasons at Oregon. And Chuck has played in about four games. He hasn't, you know, hasn't proven a lot. And then the other quarterbacks on the roster are redshirt freshman Cale Mellon, who missed all of last season with a foot injury. Uh, Jay Butterfield, who's another highly regarded true freshman recruit. And then Robbie Ashford, uh, another true freshman in this 2020 recruiting class, both of uh, Butterfield and Ashford, were four-star recruits. But these are true freshmen. So you add a Brown or some sort of grad transfer, it makes some sense in terms of having somebody on the roster that provides some stability. Um, at the same time, if you think Shuck's the guy, do you need to go out and take him? And I think that brings me to the second question there of, like, yeah, I was a little surprised Brown chose to pick Oregon, because that does indicate that he feels like he has at least a pretty decent shot of winning that job. You don't, as a grad transfer, choose a school uh, to transfer to with the expectation of, like, uh, I probably won't start there, but I'm just going to go spend my last year there after I started the last three years at another Power 5 school. So, uh, that was a head-scratcher for me that he ended up picking Oregon, which maybe does lead me to believe that this is going to be a little bit bigger of a back-and-forth quarterback battle than anyone had kind of expected, certainly from what we saw during the spring when it was Shuck's job and there was not really any question about it.
0: I think uh, Oregon's obviously in win-now mode. You know They're recruiting so well. The loaded defense, I love like just looking at the, the defensive depth chart and just kind of thinking about what that's going to look like. So I, I, I guess I get... You know, adding Brown to just make sure that that Chuck, if he's not the guy that you've got somebody because Eric, you mentioned that behind him, there's a lot of uncertainty. How how is pandemic aside? Like, if everything's on track, when Anthony Brown gets to campus, I'm assuming that's not well obvious. That's not going to be until fall. Um, how do you see this playing out? Not so much like you you might think Eric or you might think Tyler Shuck wins the job, but I'm guessing Anthony Brown at least pushes them. I'm wondering if they both they both play some in the early going, and, and Oregon's got a really fun non-conference schedule, so I'm guessing you might see both. Like, What do you, what do you think happens the first half of the season at least?
3: I've, I've said this a couple times. Um, Oregon is a new offensive coordinator and Joe Moorhead coming over from Mississippi State where he was the head coach and then probably more well-known from his time at Penn State. Moorhead, during the short period of time I had to speak with him this spring, and again, it was abbreviated to four practices, but did communicate that they really wanted to run the quarterback, and they wanted to do that maybe as many as 10 to 15 times a game. Uh, And that's a very far cry from the offense that he inherited, where up until the Rose Bowl, when Justin Herbert suddenly uh, is looking like, I don't know, Lamar Jackson out there running around for touchdowns, um, he he barely touched the ball a season. In fact, there was a no quarterback run policy basically in place all of last season. Until the Rose Bowl and actually until the Pac-12 championship game against Utah, they kind of unleashed that and those last two games, you saw it come together. But Tyler Shuck really wasn't recruited into an offense that was going to run the quarterback. And part of me wonders if bringing in Brown, at least, you know, maybe like best case scenario, Brown develops and he's a gap year so that Shuck maybe has another year of development um and brown is a starter for a season chuck that has two years after but maybe another scenario that plays out is that brown is that quarterback that comes in and, and runs the football a little bit maybe there are specific packages or by you know series by series they go okay well this series we really want to incorporate uh some of this 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 option which Oregon you know obviously when they were evolving as a program were really well known for running a lot of the zone read option stuff um the rpo but has not been a part of their offense at all the last three or four years maybe they want to bring that back and they see anthony brown as a good fit for that and they think that they can kind of use both quarterbacks and i wouldn't be surprised if that is an element of what we see early on in the season i could see that working and maybe that's a thing that carries on throughout the season and we should note tyler shuck is a good athlete and Joe moorhead i did ask moorhead straight up like is he someone that can run the football and he was very confident about shucks ability to do that but maybe they just think brown's a better fit for for some of the things they want to do
0: little Taysom Hill action out there on the West coast. I like that. That's fun. Um, uh, b- before I send you out, this isn't really a question, but just, I was looking back at some old Oregon quarterback history and the year after Vernon Adams was this great player. I, I had vaguely remembered that they brought in Dakota Prukop who like was supposed to be the next great transfer quarterback for Oregon. He plays a few games, struggles gets benched for a guy named Justin Herbert who comes on. So I thought that was an interesting parallel, like the guy to replace Justin Herbert or, or the battle to replace Justin Herbert, like inevitably involves a transfer quarterback as well.
3: It, no, that's a good point. Uh, it ha- yeah, Oregon's history with grad transfer quarterbacks certainly has been mixed. Uh, Adams was great for that season. He was, well, at least for the part of the season, he was healthy. He dealt with injuries throughout that, but when he was healthy, that team was really good. And, yeah, Prukop, I think, came down to Oregon, Alabama. Like, it was a big dog recruitment for Dakota Prukop, and Oregon wins that. And there was some real optimism that, like, hey, this guy was kind of last year's Vernon Adams in terms of he was a top FCS quarterback. And it didn't play out that way. And, and Justin Herbert, of course, won the job. That was not that was not a good season. Oregon fired their coach at the end of the year. But you're right. It kind of paved the way for what Herbert he can and and maybe that'll be what Anthony Brown provides now in terms of does he can be something for Tyler Shuck that maybe motivates him to become that next quarterback at Oregon we'll
0: see good stuff Eric Scoble thanks for joining us
3: all right all right thank you guys
0: that's gonna do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily if you appreciate what we're doing please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts if you have an idea for us please drop us a review we got a cool cool review idea the other day from somebody asking us about PJ Fleck and see the next Matt Rule, so I'm gonna to try to get somebody on in the next few days of talk is PJ Fleck, the next Matt Rule. For our producer Tony Levitt, for Shay Dixon, for Charlie Potter, for Eric Scopel, I am Trey Scott, and we will see you on Monday for the next edition of the College Football Daily.